Hi, I'm Rajiv. Hi, I'm Venkat. And this is Dharmology. Namaste, Venkat. Namaste, Rajiv. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Venkat, I've heard that Brahmins are hated. Is this real? Or is this all made up? Rajiv, this is uh, very real. The hatred for Brahmins exists in India as well as in the West and here in the United States. It's, um, and it has, you know, it increases over time and then it diminishes slightly, but it always resurfaces whenever there's an attack on Hindus or Hinduism. You can make you can be sure that the uh, Brahmins are uh, bearing the brunt of it. They're you can think of it as they are the favorite whipping boys. Hmm. So, what's the uh, history of Brahmin hate or anti-Brahminism, if I may use the term? So, first of all, is Brahminism anything at all? I've seen that term being used. I personally, the first time I encountered it about four or five years ago, was surprised that I had not heard it before. I've seen people use it, and I'm not sure. So the question, is there something like Brahminism? The short answer is no. Um, Brahminism is a term that's been coined by um, certain segment of the um, in certain segment of Indologists to try to portray Hinduism as a construction by Brahmins. They, they argue that there, there was no such thing and the Brahmins basically created it and created it in such a way to privilege themselves. So there is no such thing as Brahminism. Mm. There's only Hinduism. So if I were to also look at it as a strategic anti-Hindu move, perhaps calling out Brahminism or coining that term when conceptually that idea does not exist is perhaps a good way to fragment the Hindu society. What do you think about that? That is that is exactly the intent. It it, it is an um, the aim of that approach is to fragment the Hindu society and to attack um, the sort of thought leaders, if if you would, if you can say, uh, to attack them, to demean them, to make them out to be um, opportunists, so that. You know, that can be then, that can then destabilize all of Hinduism. And that's, that's the idea, basically. Mm. Now, coming back to this whole idea of Brahm hatred against Brahmins or Brahmin hatred, can you tell us a little bit about, briefly, about the history of it? When did it start? Um, or rather the noticeable historic 
uh, aspects of uh, Brahmin hate? Sure. So the, the hatred for Brahmins was um, originally fomented by the colonists. So both um, the British colonists as well as the Islamic colonists. And it, it continued subsequently um, by the, what I would call the Christian fundamentalists and, um, in who, who translated and interpreted the various um, literature that was present in the Vedic system of thought. And their interpretations were heavily influenced by, one, their own belief system about um, non-Christians. And it was also influenced by their um, viewpoint that if the Brahmins can be, uh, if, if, if a division could be created between the Brahmins and the rest of the, the castes, as they refer to it, then Hinduism can be destabilized and, and destroyed. And um, so this is the sort of the historical context, of, but, but I'm not talking here about sort of modern history. I can go into that if you, if you want in the last, I would say, since independence. Earlier, you talked a bit about Brahmin hatred being prevalent in India as well as in the United States or in the West. Can you give us some examples of what anti-Brahmin activity looks like, let's say, in India? How can one spot it? And what forms and shapes, not just in society, but also in policy making, does it take? Sure. So in India, um, Brahmin hatred is uh, readily apparent in a state like Tamil Nadu, where the ideology on which the two main political parties of that state, uh, the, the ideo ideology to which they prescribe is a um, an ideology that... Um, demonizes Brahmins and views them as foreigners or not originally from the state of Tamil Nadu, a, a foreign, you know, people with a foreign culture. And, um, the, the, and you know, that, that used to be um, sort of very prevalent. And I think its uh, peak was in the 60s and 70s when there used to be you know, these political goons would go out and, and try to look for Brahmins and older Brahmins and cut off their sacred thread or, or do demeaning things like that. Or, um, and then today, the modern day uh, version of that is, you know, if you look in the Tamil movie industry, they will make movies where certain scenes will be aimed at demeaning Brahmin culture. Um, they, they would, they would, uh, you know, purposely uh, place a Brahmin character um, 
in a situation where he will either be insulted or she will be insulted or, or demeaned in some way or another. And this is very, very prevalent. There, there are many um, videos on YouTube that illustrate this, where, where you know, Brahmins have identified these and um, highlighted them as examples. Wow. I was not aware that in a country and society like India, with the piety that uh, I would associate with Tamil Nadu, that there would be a movement, an organized movement to cut off sacred threads of Brahmins. That is astonishing. And I wonder what else do we not know about Brahmin hatred, given what I just learned. Um, another, another thing, another example is I think there, there's, um, there's a person, um, a, a prominent anti-Brahmin figure. His name was Periyar, and he is the inspiration for the political parties in Tamil Nadu. And he had written many, um, given many speeches and written many articles that, um, uh, attack Brahmins, and he, he's the inspiration for a lot of the anti-Brahmin activity. And and you know, in terms of policy, there is what I would call vile affirmative action in states like Tamil Nadu, where you know seats are reserved for various other for various castes other than Brahmins, and the Brahmins are essentially forced to compete for a very small segment of seats in universities, um, whereby it's almost impossible for them to secure admission unless they're the cream of the crop. And so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a explicit discrimination against Brahmins. And because they're a super minority in, these, in, this, in the state of Tamil Nadu, they do not really have a political voice um, and no one speaks on their behalf. Growing up, um, going to school in India, I remember at one point, and I may be a bit off in my numbers, but I think in Tamil Nadu, the reservation for, or the educational quota, as I may, as I, I choose to call it, was at about like an it was an astonishingly high number, something like 70% or 80%. And to me, that was surprising. Am I, am I in the right range here? Yes, that, that is very correct. And, you know, anecdotally, um, and, and we can perhaps in a subsequent podcast, I can get the actual data, but I think it's even uh, higher than that in the sense that it's almost impossible for a Brahmin to get into a, you know, a government college or a government school because the quota is so stringent that it, you know, it's, it's an explicit form of discrimination against the Brahmins. And um, the same is true in government jobs. So if you're uh, a Brahmin and you're a scientist and you work, uh, you know, at an organization, your promotion opportunities are limited because you're a Brahmin. 
so you know there are many many forms of discrimination against brahmins um you know and these these are you know i wouldn't call them subtle they're they're explicit and and you know nobody calls this out um because they think of these codas as helping the underprivileged but in Today's India, the underprivileged are the Brahmins. The vast majority of Brahmins are um, very poor in the state of Tamil Nadu. Mm. I, I, I have witnessed this myself uh, on my last trip to India when I went to visit several temples. I've seen Brahmin, um, you know, poor Brahmins and, and Brahmin priests um, who work in very small temples you know, basically, essentially begging for money. It, it was very um, painful to witness that. Right. Along the same lines, in Uttar Pradesh, in UP, in North India, pretty much through the decade of 70s and 80s, the chief minister of the state, the ruling party, was... Um, a Brahmin, so Kamlapati Tripathi or Narayanda Tiwari, and I'm missing a few names here and there. But what that led to was that once the 90s rolled around, there was this very open purge of the Brahmins, and the pretense was to take the power away from Brahmins. So, in other words, well, uh, we don't want any Brahmin like Narayanda Tiwari or um, Kamlapati Tripathi or any Brahmin for that matter to be the leader. And and the power was deliberately shifted to um, non-Brahmins. And it just so happened that with the affirmative action movement that was shepherded by VP Singh in India also gave rise to Bahujan Samaj Party led by Mayavati and her and her mentor, Kashiram. And uh, they openly purged Brahmins. Uh, that basically meant not giving Brahmins um, promotions in police force or administrative services, not allowing Brahmins to run for um, elections and many other forms. So I, I'm aware that there was quite a bit anti-Brahmin sentiment in India in, in the 90s and even in, two, in the decade of 2000. But um, I think Tamil Nadu takes it to yet another level altogether. I'll right. And Go ahead. I was just going to say it is... Um, you know, the, the Brahmin is the favorite whipping boy, both in India and the West. And um, with, with some, just, you know, if somebody looked into it a little bit, even put a little effort, um, he or she can quickly determine that a lot of it is pure propaganda. Um, you know, the, the Brahmins are not privileged uh, economically or politically and have essentially never been privileged because if you, if you really understand what the role of a Brahmin in society was, you, 
will understand that the Brahmin was supposed to be focused on education, spiritual education, uh, uh, you know, mainly, and and teaching. And then they were also supposed to, there was a lot of um, uh, responsibility for a Brahmin. He, he was not, he or she was not supposed to pursue material wealth. And, and the ones that were very orthodox basically shunned wealth, the material wealth and material possessions, and basically, you know, generally lived in a separate place called an agraharam. And they had very minimal possessions. And, and, you know, they had this practice of going out daily to gather grains for their daily consumption through, um, you know, uh, basically, it's called unchavrti. So basically, um, you know, going out and, and begging for alms, right? So that, so I don't know where, where this notion that the Brahmin was privileged comes from there's you know there may have been a few brahmins that were wealthy but the vast majority who who were practicing orthodox brahmins um shunned material wealth and focused on education i think it certainly can be said that as the opportunities multiplied as the society became more uh, mobilized or as mobility increased as job opportunities and money-making, money-earning opportunities increased, um, I think certainly a lot of Brahmins uh, took to commercial pursuits or financial pursuits even, which took them away from their ceremonial responsibilities and, and spiritual responsibilities, as you, as you alluded to. And, and therefore, for all practical purposes, were like others when it came to living a normal life in the city with, with family and kids going to school and building a house and uh, owning a business. However, uh, I, would, I would say that the expectation, the purge that they had to go through, uh, not openly, but as an undercurrent in society, uh, the alienation, the diatribe against them certainly was much more, um, it, it was not, it is not warranted just because they are Brahmins. And right. To, to, go ahead, please. So to add something there, what I wanted to say was the, what you're pointing out is absolutely correct. The Brahmins over time, especially, you know, in the last hundred years or, or more, moved away from their original role into more secular society and pursuing material um, things. But that has nothing to do with their privilege. They didn't, didn't enjoy any benefits, right? They, 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 it has nothing to do with them being the upper caste. It had something to do with them kind of sh- shifting away, just like all segments of society over time in India have been moving away from spirituality towards the material pursuits. The Brahmins also made that movement. But their um, 
you know, I would say the elevated status of a subset of Brahmins in terms of educational attainment uh, from a secular sense and material wealth has nothing to do with the fact that they're an upper caste or, or so-called upper caste. That's the point I wanted to make. Correct. Both you and I know that there is a very deliberate and well-organized movement to fragment, to break up India in the West. And we are kind of aware that the route to breaking up India or the step, one of the steps in break up India movement is to destroy the Hindu identity or diminish the Hindu identity in the West. No surprises over there. But you also assert that within anti-Hinduism in the West, there's actually a kernel of anti-Brahminism, which I agree, but don't know enough about. Can you shed some light on what's happening in terms of the anti-Brahminism? Well, I, I, I can't use that term. Can you shed some light on what is happening in terms of anti-Brahmin movement in the West, especially in America? You know, there are many fringe groups like Equality Labs that are promoting hatred for Brahmins on social media with impunity. These groups are implicitly supported by politicians who such as Rokana, who want to prove their social justice credentials by providing sort of implicit support to these groups. And, and what, they're, what they've been doing is if you Google Equality Labs and, and you look at um, uh, their Facebook posts or their Twitter um, posts, you can see lots of um, anti-Brahmin posters you know, they would say something like, you know, destroy Brahminism. Um, you know, the, 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 they would make all sorts of outlandish claims about how Brahmins are responsible for all the um, misfortunes or, or um, the, the, the ill treatment of um, the Dalits in India. They ascribe everything to, to the Brahmins. Um, there, there's also, you know, if you, I don't know if you've heard of the, this term called Boston Brahmin. The, the term is used in a pejorative sense. The term Boston Brahmin basically refers to the elites in um, New England. And they're, they're referred to as the Boston Brahmins. And basically the idea is to um, associate these elites with the Brahmins of India. But the elites of New England were wealthy people, and the Brahmins of India had nothing to do with wealth, um, or uh, you know they, they they were not wealthy, and and that connection there is very weak. But you know there have been many um, instances in which the term Brahmin has been used in a pejorative sense, like that. Mm. What's to be gained? 
with tarnishing Brahmins or tarnishing Hindus, especially tarnishing Brahmins, in context of today's political climate. Right. So, so the um, these radical social justice groups, what they're trying to do is to uh, jump on this bandwagon of white privilege. And they basically want to associate the Brahmins in Hinduism with the white, uh, sorry, refer to the Brahmins in Hinduism as the Actually, let me let me restate it. They they basically want to equate the Brahmin with the whites in America uh, as the privileged class, and associate the Dalits with the blacks in America. So so the the Brahmins become the whites of Hinduism, and the Dalits become the blacks of Hinduism. And this is a a very super and baseless comparison. Um, it, it doesn't hold any water because, you know, the Brahmins are a minority with no economic or political clout, whether it's in India or in America. Whites, on the other hand, are the majority and do possess economic and political power. So such generalizations are, are baseless. Um, and in fact, such generalizations are baseless because, you know, not all whites possess economic or political power. So, you know, the, the, the sort of the radical social justice movement wants to label certain segments of the population as being privileged. And so they, they try to make these broad generalizations about these groups. And so they're working very hard to tie the Brahmins with the whites in America. And that's a very tenuous um, comparison. Ah, so it certainly now makes a whole lot more sense to me. And uh, I guess the picture I'm drawing in my head is that while there's this anti-white sentiment, this conversation which is often associated with violence and riots about white privilege, while that is uh, perhaps only picking up as we speak, um, the anti-India, anti-Hindu political forces in the West, especially in the United States, are hijacking the movement in the sense that they are now associating uh, well-tested anti-Brahmin sentiment from India, bring it to the West, draw a parallel between the oppression of, of the Indian society at the hand of Brahmins, which is highly debatable, and casting it in the same along the same storyline in the United States and hence make their movement global and while they are in their words taking care of the white privilege in the United States states they bear, they are basically globalizing their movement and want to take the same sentiment in India as well and destabilize India that that's correct you know they're supposed to be in in America, there's not 
not supposed to be any discrimination based on race, gender, religious affiliation, or other personal traits. However, groups like Equality Labs are trying to create a scenario where it's okay to demonize and discriminate against certain groups that they view as privileged. And the Brahmins, who they equate with the whites of America, are a group that they think should be discriminated against and demonized. Mm. Well, Venkat, this was quite helpful. I'm so thankful that you shed light on this subject that at least was not on my radar, or at least as I as high up on my radar. Um, and thank you for elaborating a bit of the historical perspective and connecting the dots between what happened in India and how it is being reattempted in the American context. So I thank you very much for taking time to do that. And I would want to continue this conversation on anti-Brahmin sentiment and build upon it to understand how it has basically started to make inroads into many aspects of our social lives, especially in corporate America as well, and how it threatens the hard work that has been done by Indians in this country, how it tarnishes their image, and ultimately how it destabilizes um, India and Hindus in general. So thank you again for taking the time, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you and namaste, Rajiv. Namaste. Namaste.